Okay, great. Thank you. In late June, the US Ambassador at Large for Religious Freedom, Sam Brownback, made a one-week visit to Nigeria. Funny title, isn't it? Ambassador at Large. But Ambassador at Large for Religious Freedom. By the end of his week in Nigeria, I guess Mr Brownback got a very good sense of the issues concerning religious freedom in Nigeria. In that week, there were six suicide bombings by the terrorist group Boko Haram in one day. There were altercations between Muslims and Christians in a number of village town areas. There were killings by Muslim Fulani herdsmen. And finally, at the end of the ambassador's visit, there was a 60-hour killing spree in Plateau State which left about 200 Christians dead and many grieving. Now, if Mr Brownback had jumped on the plane and headed over to the Middle East, he might have considered the largest remaining Christian community in the Middle East. The Christians have been all but forced to abandon Syria and Iraq, but a large minority remains in Egypt. The Christians in Egypt are subject to long-term cultural discrimination, so in education, in employment. Their access to public life in other ways is limited. And their ability to build and even just repair their churches is limited. There have been attacks on churches, on businesses, and homes have been burnt down. The Christians in Egypt often call the continuing persecution there the pressure. The Apostle Paul called it the sufferings of Christ. So in verse 5 of our passage there in 2 Corinthians today on 11.42, Paul labels his experience of persecution and hardship as he goes about serving Christ and the churches as the sufferings of Christ which flow over into our lives. Now, Paul wouldn't have been surprised by them. As he remarked once, have a look up on the screen, when he wrote to his offsider Timothy, he said this, You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love and endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, which is what we're all called to, will be persecuted, says the Apostle. So what are some of the sufferings of Christ that you endure? Maybe you have a spouse who doesn't follow Christ and criticises you for doing so. Maybe you've got an extended family who treat your faith as a bit of a joke and irrelevant and they consistently organise gatherings as if your wish to go to church doesn't matter and isn't worth considering. Maybe you've got friends who say you're homophobic because you said you would vote no in the plebiscite last year. Maybe you feel just disappointment that no one among your family or your friends ever asks you about your church or your faith, something that's so much a part of you. Maybe you just feel marginalised by the radio or TV program where the guest misinterprets and 
mocks the Bible and Christians. Or maybe you go out with people sometimes and they know you're Christian and you have certain uh, ways and they hassle you with trying to get, get, make jokes about, go on, get drunk, come on, that sort of stuff. I've had that. Things like that. Paul's remark that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, that explains why the Corinthians shared in the sufferings of Christ, why the Christians in Nigeria and Egypt share in the sufferings of Christ, and why you also participate in the sufferings of Christ. And it shouldn't be a surprise, should it? Because if they could condemn and kill Jesus because he was inconvenient, they'll do it to his followers as well. As Jesus himself said to Paul, when Paul was still a persecutor of Christians and was named Saul, have a look on the screen, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And look at Jesus answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Saul was persecuting the followers of Jesus, the Christians. Yet in Jesus' mind, Saul was persecuting him. I imagine that conversation was rather formative when Paul came to the conclusion that the persecution and hardships of ministry were an overflow of the sufferings of Christ in his life. In writing this letter we call 2 Corinthians, we call it 2 Corinthians, it's probably Five Corinthians, actually. We don't have all the letters that were written. As he writes this letter, Paul needs to defend himself from accusations that he's not, he and his ministry are not to be respected because he's a weak and a suffering person and a person who brings a weak message in a weak, non-impressive style. And some of the Corinthians are being tempted to turn from Paul to other leaders more impressive leaders with a new message and new methods. But Paul's going to prove that the weak, suffering minister and message is in fact God's most powerful instrument. So here at the beginning of the letter, he puts suffering and weakness front and centre in the opening, opening verses. And it's all, you'll notice, really strong and positive stuff. Because as Paul will ultimately argue, human weakness is actually the place where God's power is perfected. Persecutors the world over in Paul's time and still today think that suffering will make Christians abandon their faith. Now that does happen, but so often it doesn't. And the reason it isn't is what Paul writes here, which I'm going to call today the three power plays of suffering for Christ. I want to explain why I'm using this phrase, power plays. In limited over cricket games, they have power play rules which limit the number of fielders who can field a long way from the centre for a certain period of the game. So in that diagram there, the centre there is the, the yellowish rectangle and the batters are there. You've got all these fielders and you notice in this there's a circle and Outside the circle, you've only got fielders number, they've numbered them number 10 and 11. And when this setup is, is on for the game, when the power play is on, if the batting team can hit the ball past all those fielders in the circle or over those fielders in the circle, 
There's less fielders out there, only two of them, to stop the ball getting to the fence. By introducing these special times when they limit the governing body of cricket, by introducing these power plays, they've changed the rules of the game to advantage the batting team. Today I want to show you God's three power plays of suffering for Christ. It looks weak to the persecutor's mind. It should drive the Christian under. It should turn them away from Christ. But no, in this amazing way, in this God way, it actually shows God's power and gives power to his people. The three power plays of Christ, firstly, suffering looks weak, but it always brings you closer to God. Secondly, suffering looks weak, but it's actually God's way to bring comfort to others. And finally, suffering looks weak, but it encourages prayer, which is always powerful and effective. I want to take my first point actually from down near the end of the passage. Normally, we work through the verses in order in the passage because thinking that if the order in the Bible is good enough for God and for Paul, then it should be good enough for us and we need to work it out. But today I've made an exception because I reckon the point in verse 9 seems to underlie everything else. So first point, suffering looks weak but always brings you closer to God. And at this point, how excellent it was to read Lily's Year 13 Reflections on the E-News and the Church News this week. Having spent a month working on mission in Fiji, being challenged and stretched as the team sought to be culturally sensitive and having to live well out of their comfort zones on the homestays, I'm sure that brought Lily and Peter, our other Year 13 Fiji trip member, brought them much closer together, all the team members, the, the 70 or 80 team members, that they're all brought a lot closer together through the experience. They had to learn, I'm sure, to rely on each other for the support and to work as a team. Well, we see here that Paul's experience of suffering for Christ was what brought him closer to God. It grew his faith because he too needed to rely more on someone else, in this case God. So have a look at verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not, we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. In verse 8, the Corinthians hear of Paul's most recent experience of the overflow of the sufferings of Christ. Paul doesn't give enough detail for us to know exactly what the life-threatening situation was, but it's obvious it's bad if he felt the sentence of death and despaired even of life. Now, the capital of the province of Asia where he tells us this happened is Ephesus, and sometimes when people are trying to work out what could this be, they think about how Ephesus in the Acts of the Apostles, that in Ephesus... Uh, the local silversmiths cause a riot when they get upset that all these people are listening to Paul's preaching, becoming Christians, and stop buying the little silver idols they, they make to go and worship the temple goddess Artemis. So some people guess maybe that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about despairing even of life. But then on the other hand, when you read in Acts, it doesn't really look very life-threatening. It looks... Hairy, 
but not really life-threatening. Not too bad for someone as experienced in persecution as Paul. So don't really know what it was, what was this terrible situation that Paul faced. But look at the effect, verse 9 again. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now, you notice how God uses this really deep experience of Paul where he really feels his weakness and need. He use it, uses it so that Paul will learn to rely more on God. He's, he's at the end. He's stretched to breaking point. He can no longer rely on his own resources of cleverness or strength or intellect. It's a good move, isn't it, to rely on God when, as Paul notes, he's the one with the power to raise the dead. It means he can do anything else in between to help someone who's suffering as well. I've read of that happening to people today. In the Voice of the Martyrs newsletters I receive each month, which are an organisation that support persecuted Christians around the world, they often have stories of Christians who've been persecuted but only get stronger in their reliance of God, on God. And, and I observe it happening in this church too. There's no one here who's a victim of really, really overt persecution, but I've observed how people learn to rely on God, not themselves, when they come to a point in their life when their own resources of money or strength or positive thinking or determination just aren't going to be enough. Say a serious medical problem. It's really encouraging to see people draw closer to God. There's a, a lady in our congregation who only two weeks ago, in inverted commas, celebrated, and she sort of says it that, that way, I should say perhaps observed, 13 years since she fell under a bus and lost a leg in Manly. That lady has grown so much in her faith. And she said, I thank God for these 13 years. It's quite amazing she said that to me out the door there that Sunday morning two weeks ago. Well, that's God's first power play of suffering. You look weak, but you're actually brought closer to God. Well, only God could have devised this next power play. It's summarised there in verse 3 and 4, that we look weak in suffering, but it's actually God's way to bring comfort to others. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Our God compassionately cares about his struggling people. Don't ever doubt that. He cares more than you know. But since he's God, he isn't like the loving parent who has to watch feeling impotent and powerless their child's suffering. No, among other things, God can bring comfort in the midst of suffering. Paul's experience was that God comforted him in all his troubles. It was a supernatural experience of God's grace strengthening Paul to keep him going on in his service when he 
relied on him so much. But the comfort didn't cease at Paul. It's a stunning display of divine ingenuity that this power play gives comfort not just to Paul, but also to others. Paul is equipped to comfort, look at verse 4, those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. One of the blessings of knowing God as Father through Jesus Christ is to receive comfort in our suffering. And the comfort of one of God's children, he's saying here, overflows to produce comfort and encouragement for other children. And isn't that so true? In our church, numerous times each year this happens. One of us is given a good result when under a medical cloud and we all feel pleased and buoyed to hear the news. With suffering, the example is really powerful, that someone else has been comforted so they continue to stand firm in living faithfully for Christ when in a difficult situation. That, that really speaks to the rest of us, doesn't it? In the words of verse 6 there, if we're distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Paul saw that his example to the Corinthians would encourage them to continue themselves to endure their suffering. There's a chain. Do you see the chain? Paul receives comfort from God. And that overflows through his example. So the Corinthians are comforted and they endure. A number of the women in our church have experienced really difficult relationship suffering in recent years. I was really encouraged a couple of months back when Anna Hugo wrote in the e-news of how much she's been helped through her friendship with other single women at church help to keep relying on God through the challenges. I'm personally encouraged in my faith by all of those women. They didn't ask for their situation and no one, of course, wished it on them. But their comfort, their standing firm and continuing on with Jesus and living for him brings comfort to others like me. It produces patient endurance in us of our struggles. So thank you. Let's go to God's third power play of suffering for Christ. And that is that suffering looks weak, but it encourages prayer, which is really powerful and effective. I don't remember how many years ago it was, but I was really convicted to repent when someone pointed out that in the Bible we're are commanded to care about persecuted Christians. So like the people in Nigeria, the people in Egypt. And the Bible verse that has motivated me to keep this on my radar ever since is this one in Hebrews 13 at verse 3. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. This conviction that we need to remember the prisoners and the mistreated Christians as if we ourselves were suffering. That's the reason why, as each week, one of the things I do, I choose prayer point suggestions for the prayer leaders. Well, I make sure that every four or five weeks, 
We pray for the persecuted church. We must remember to pray for them. And as we do, the brilliant thing is that praying for those who are suffering is powerful and effective. God answers prayers for the suffering. That, that's Paul's understanding and confidence here in verse 11 of our passage. Let's have a look at it and let's pick it up at verse 10. Speaking of God, Paul says, He's delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he'll continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul has a confidence that God is responsive to prayer. He's not saying that God is dependent on human prayer to be able to do anything, but Paul is saying that by your prayers, the blessing of deliverance from future dangers will be granted to him by God. It looks in that when you look at the end there, verse 11, it looks like Paul's got people praying in other places, not just Corinth, for his ministry as well. And so he talks about the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. They, they couldn't physically help Paul, but God's power play is that by prayer, people who aren't even present can call on him to exercise his power. And he always responds to them. Sometimes it might be a no or a wait. It's often with a yes, but it's always, I've taken it on board. And always be confident that our Heavenly Father hears us and in his wisdom goes about answering the prayer. Great though our weakness is, or the weakness of another brother or sister may be, the power of God is always greater. So we must ensure we avail ourselves of the privilege and the responsibility of this third power play of suffering. We must continue to pray for those who suffer. And if you'd like to receive one of the free newsletters from one of the organisations that support the persecuted and encourage you to pray, then look out for details in next week's newsletter. Today we've looked at God's three power plays of suffering. I want to finish by sharing a story of a persecuted sister in Egypt. Her name is Dura. Now, when Dura was born, her father abandoned her at birth and the mother very quickly went off to work away from Egypt. Dura's Egyptian. The mother, her mother went and worked overseas. So she was left with her devout Muslim grandmother to be raised. One night, as a little girl, Dura dreamt of a large white building like a mosque. But if, instead of having a minaret, there was a cross. Having never seen such a building before, she recognised the cross from the tattoos she'd seen on the wrists and hands of her Coptic Christian classmates. The dream brought Dura such comfort, she began drawing a cross on her wrist despite her family's Muslim background. When her grandmother saw it, she was alarmed. This is very wrong. The Christians can hurt you and do so many bad things. Her grandmother was so concerned, she took Dura to a mosque for treatment. However, the imam's treatment resulted in Dura being sexually abused. 
Coming home from school one day, Dura unintentionally took a wrong turn and found herself standing in front of the church she'd seen in her dream. God so often works in the Muslim world through dreams to get people open to Jesus. Well, from then on, she's really open. She'll secretly leave her house at night and visit a church near her home. When Dura's 13, her grandmother dies and her mother returns to Egypt. And when she learns that Dura's been visiting a church, she really mistreats Dura. Dura says, Many times she sent me to sleep in the dirt by the bus station in front of our house. But I still went to church. At 15, her family moved and Dura shared her story with a new Christian neighbour. That neighbour introduced Dura to a Coptic priest who gave her a Bible and began teaching her about the Christian faith. As Dura studied the Bible, she soon placed her faith in Jesus. Jesus is in me and is real. Though I never saw him before, I knew him before. Although Dura's new faith now gives her an inner peace, her problems at home at this point intensify. Her mother continually beats her. She even hires off-duty police officers to beat Dura on her behalf. One time she's beaten so badly, her legs are broken, they won't take her to medical treatment. So to this day, she has very chronic pain. When she's 21, her mum comes up with what she believes the best solution to this problem. You can guess, I reckon, probably what it is. It's an arranged marriage. She's married off to a man and, she's, and the man undertakes to restore her to be a committed Muslim once again. After the marriage, the husband's first act is to burn off the cross tattoo that Dura has put on her shoulder. Wanting to cripple her faith, he then pours acid over Dura's shoulders and back. Her days of secretly visiting church are over. Dura becomes uh, a prisoner in her own home. She has a baby boy. She chooses to give him a Christian name. Enraged by that, her husband beats her, divorces her and throws her out on the street while keeping their son. Today, Dura is no longer subject to beatings. She finds support from other Christians but she lives with the constant pain of missing her son, whom she hasn't seen for 11 long years. Her day-to-day life is difficult. However, she's amazing. She remains faithful to God, who's called on her from her childhood. And she says this, God is really with me. I think all the suffering and struggles strengthened me and gave me an indication that I am on the right path. Power play one Dura is stretched by the persecution and her faith grows stronger. Power play two, I read of Dura in the magazine and I'm comforted by her confidence that all the suffering has strengthened her. I'm challenged by her example. Power play three, we need to play for Dura. Join me now. Let's pray. Father God, suffering is really, really hard and In your sovereignty, you work through it and you use it to grow us and bring us closer to you. And amazingly, Lord, you've given us the privilege of prayer. And so we pray for Dura. We thank you for her. We thank you for her faith, the way you called her 
from when she was a young girl in that dream and led her to know you and know Jesus as her Lord and Saviour. So many hard things have happened to do her, Lord. We pray you continue to strengthen her faith and that you, Lord, would enable her to get what she needs to be relieved of the pain she feels uh, medically and also, Lord, that somehow maybe it would be possible that she could meet her son again. Father, we pray for, for Dura. We thank you for her example to us. We thank you, Lord, that she's an encouragement for us and a comfort in whatever struggles the overflow of the sufferings of Christ we experience. Father, we pray that you'll hear our prayers for Dura and the persecuted Christians in Egypt and all over the world, that you might relieve their suffering, that you might strengthen their faith and turn their persecutors to you. Father, please hear our prayer. Amen.